Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. And the church said, amen. Good morning, church family and friends, and thank you for joining us this Sunday morning. We started a brand new series that we've entitled Woke. My name is Rick Thompson. I'm the pastor here at Living Water Community Church. And woke, um, well, I gave you the definition of woke last week. The first one was the past of wake. The second one, which is where we're kind of jumping off of, was alert to the injustice in society, especially racism. And it gave an example, a sentence, we need to stay angry and stay woke. Now, I said that's an example of, of wh- where the world would have us be, you know, angry and upset about things going on. We got a little time. Uh, we have a little uh, uh, clock as part of our uh, advertisement, you know, that alarm clock that sits on the side of your dresser. And it feels like when you turn on the news that you've literally woken up into a world what I, what I consider a bizarro world. Right? Why, why do I say that? Because literally there are forces out there that are in 2020 that, that I feel like we're trying to drag us right back to, you know, the 60s and the 50s. And there are people out there that are, you know, asking and demanding that people who've, you know, never been slaves, don't know any slaves, get reparations from people who never been slave owners and don't know any slave owners. And so that's kind of crazy. And we got our politicians in our world today that are just stoking those racial divisions, and it's causing a lot of problems and hostility. And so in this series, I want us to kind of turn the corner and not get so caught up in the, the worldly definition that I just think is going to cause you know, divisions and, and, and make people angry, but to get caught up in the world's definition of what I call woke and the dreams and the vision that God has for each and every one of us um, so that we can fulfill his plans and his purpose. And God's got plans and purposes for every single one of us. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what side of the tracks you were born on. I don't care if you were rich or if you were poor. You are not left out. God's got a plan and a purpose for you. And we see that in his text. We, 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 uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, uh, uh, a very important event in the history of the church, the day of Pentecost, where God poured out his spirit on people from every nation and, and tribe and background, and, and they were all filled with the spirit. And they were trying to come up with an explanation as to what happened. And Peter, he he seeks to explain it in Acts chapter 2, verse 16. He says, no, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All people. Someone say all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be buried, or the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to, to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that verse. Everyone who calls, just humor me just one moment. Just say Jesus. Say Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you go back to that text, it goes on. He, he takes the, that, uh, the, the Joel prophecy, the scriptures, and he uses that as a jump off point to turn the corner and start preaching about Jesus and how he was the, he was the one that God sent, the, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. He was the one who paid the ultimate price that enabled everyone to now experience this gift that God wants for every single one. And he calls them to repentance. And he says, if you would repent and turn to, to Christ, you too can, ex can experience this pouring out of God's spirit. And so the last days, it tells us, will be marked by this incredible pouring out of his spirit. And he tells us what's going to happen when God pours out his spirit. He says, he says people are going to prophesy. He says, people are going to see visions, and, and his children are going to dream dreams. All of them are going to come from him. All of them, you are going to become spiritually woke to your heavenly father and what he plans and he desires for your life. And so we decided to look at four figures over the next few weeks in the Bible who, who God gave specific dreams to, and, and to see how they handled the revealed plans that God had for them and their families and their future in the hopes of discerning that biblical blueprint that God may have for us. Last week, if you weren't here, we looked at Joseph, Joseph's dream, and we dealt with uh, the disappointments that sometimes come as a result of having a dream from God and the eventual breakthrough. Go back and listen to that message. Well, a few years ago, we went over this subject in church in our, in our 50 day uh, campaign using Pastor Rick Warren's teaching material. It was relevant then, and it's still relevant today. So I want you to grab a cup of coffee, a tea, whatever you do. Um, call your friends, call your family. For the next few minutes, I want you to sit down, and let's just take in the word of the Lord. I'm going to start with a question. Have you ever been in a hurry and God wasn't? Let me say that again. Have you ever been in a hurry and it felt like God wasn't. I mean, we recently had some medical emergencies in, among our own family, incidents. Um, when I say the family, the family of God, the, the people that meet in our church. And probably one of the hardest things to do is when you're going through a medical emergency or something is happening, they put you in a waiting area, all right? And then you, you're waiting for, you know, what, uh, whatever the doctor has to say. You're waiting for the result of the, um, the operation. You're waiting for whatever the diagnosis is going to be. But, and, and during that waiting time, people might be calling, and you, and you don't know what the answer is because you haven't got an update. I mean, it's been, it's been happening. 
And as a pastor, I get the calls too. Do you get any updates on so-and-so so that we can continue to pray or we don't know what to do. And so you're, you're literally in a waiting room. And it's, and it's even more difficult, especially in, today, in today's uh, world, because you may have a loved one having an operation or having a baby or whatever's going on, and they're not even letting you in to, to the room because of COVID concerns. And so your loved one is generally by themselves, and then you're by yourself or maybe one other person. But, you're, but it's difficult when you're placed in that situation of waiting. And so what's true physically and medically is also true spiritually. I think one of the most difficult things in life is to sit in God's waiting room. Come on, somebody. Because that's when there's something beyond our control and we need an answer to prayer, a miracle, a change in a situation. And, and, and you want things to change, but it's totally out of your control. And now you just have to wait. You have to wait on God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 in the message, reading out of the message, says, True, God made everything beautiful in itself and in its time, but he's left us in the dark. Come on, somebody. So we can never know what God is up to, whether he's coming or whether he's going. You ever felt that way? Isn't that true? You just don't know what's going on. We don't always know what he's doing or when he's going to do it. And we don't know his timing because God has his own timetable. And when you're in that situation, you can get a little frustrated. You can get a little discouraged. And so in today's message, I'm simply calling this woke, how to keep on believing, especially if you're in God's waiting room. Now, if there was anyone this was true of, it would have been true or more true of, it would be true of Abraham. God gives him a promise that he's going to have a child one day, he's going to become a great nation, and later it would happen but how many know it didn't happen right away? No, it didn't. Not even close to right away. Let's look at one of the places where, where God gave him this promise. It's not the only place, but here's one of them. In Genesis 15, chapter 1, it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. I love that. I am your shield and your very great reward. How many know that if you've got God, you've got all you need? Amen? And a lot of times, when you come into relationship with the Father, that's the lesson he's going to try to teach you. If you got him, you got all you need. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus, and Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your, will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And I love this verse, verse 6. It says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. 
Now that's chapter 15. And if you're reading through the story, there was a chapter 16, even though he says he believed him, but there's this period of time that took place where, where Abram's faith was challenged and Sarah came along and said, you know what, let's, let's help God out. That's chapter 16. But we'll get back to that. Genesis 17. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and he said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and, and, and you will be greatly and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father, help me out somebody, of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make, your na I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you and the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner. I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now think about this just for a moment. Abraham has a dream. And it's basically most of his life, okay? He has this dream, and, and literally he has to wait 100 years before that dream is fulfilled. Now, how many of you know that's a long time to wait? And so my question again to you this morning is, what do you do while you're waiting on God? What do you do when you're placed in God's waiting room? Well, we've come up with a couple of five things to do that, that I need for you guys to focus on this morning. The first one is you need to understand the six phases of faith. The six phases of faith. God's always going to take us through predictable phases and stages of faith. Phase number one is the dream, is the dream. And that came to Abram at 75 years old. God gives him a dream. Uh, in Genesis, he says, I will make you into a great nation, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So first comes the dream. Phase number two is decision. Decision. A decision is, is when God gives you a dream, he now expects you to act on that dream. A dream without a decision is worthless. Can I say that again? A dream without a decision is worthless, and every dream of God has some kind of risk to it. It, it, it has a part where you, where you have to take a step of faith. In Genesis 12, 4, we see what Abram did. It says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Listen to me this morning. Abraham, Ab Abram had to leave his existing homeland, and he had to go to a place where he, he knew nothing of it. At least according to the text, he had no knowledge of it. He probably never even heard of it. And so what did he have to do? He had to take a risk. And in the same way, when God gives us a dream and he says, this is what I want you to do with your life, there's, there's going to come a point when, when you have to make a decision and say, okay, God, I'm going to go with your dream. 
rather than whatever I'm going to do. You may have to let something go and start after the path. And that might mean, okay, he, he's, he's put something in your heart, a dream in your heart. You might, it might mean you, you need to study. You need to, you need to learn about this thing. But, but the next step is you, you, you've got to make a, a decision. I'm going to go with your dream for my life, and I'm going to let anything else go. Once you've done that, you go to phase three. And phase three is simply a delay. Now, mind you, he's 86 at this point. A dream is never fulfilled instantly. Can I just say that again? It's never fulfilled instantly. When God gives you an idea of what he wants you, to, what he wants you to do with your life uh, 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 from the time where he tells you and it's actually fulfilled, there's a gap. Now, why is there a gap? Because he wants to, us to grow into whatever he's calling us to do. He wants to, he wants to build you up. It was literally 11 years after God gave Abraham his dream that Abraham still didn't have a, didn't have a child. He, he, when he was 86, it says, Sarah, Sarah, he said, Sarah still had not born any children. Genesis 16.1. So, so what happened in those 11 years? What happened from the time when he first heard it to, to now? Nothing. Nothing happened. He's just kind of waiting on God. And during that time, he's being tempted. Tempted to doubt. Tempted to despair. Tempted to, to detour. And again, I, I circle back because that's when chapter 16 happened, when his wife came up with this great idea. Listen, I'm only getting older. I've got this young nursemaid, who, I mean, uh, you know, a person that she has working for her. Maybe take her, Hagar. You can father some children through her. Maybe that's how God's going to fulfill the dream. And so they decide they're going to help God out. And along comes Ishmael. And as you know the story, Ishmael started persecuting the, ch the actual child and started causing problems. Can I just say that when we decide to get ahead of God in areas that we think we're supposed to be going in, you're going to birth Ishmael's in your life. You're going to birth problems. There's so many people that... You know what the word of the Lord says concerning marriage and not being unequally yoked, yet you're still hanging out with, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Knucklehead, who you know doesn't love Jesus. Well, you're going to change him somehow. And then you go ahead and you get married or you have children with this person and you're having nothing but problems ever since. You're giving birth to Ishmael's. Somebody comes up to you with this, deal of a lifetime in terms of, you know, a business venture, and you don't actually pray about it. It just looks too good to be true. You know what they say about things that look too good to be true. And you go down that path, even though your wife says, no, don't do it, or your godly friend says, no, don't do it. The check in your spirit says, no, don't do it. And now you've gotten in bed with, figuratively, in, into a situation that's causing you nothing but grief. Nothing but problems. You've given birth to Ishmael, Ishmael's, the, the young lady at your work who you've been flirting with. And now things have gone a little too far, and now your marriage is threatened. Or there's a pregnancy. You've given birth to Ishmael's. Whenever we get ahead of God, 
or we try to help them out, <laughs> you send the potential of birthing things that are only going to cause you problems. And so God told him, no, that wasn't when they decided to ask God. That wasn't his plan for them. I'm going to give you a child that's coming from your loins. That's not the fulfillment of the dreams. But in the meantime, you're still going to have to wait. So phase four, phase four is, is the difficulty stage. Now he's 99 years old. Not only will you have to wait, but you're going to have some difficulties while you're waiting. In fact, things may go from bad to worse, even, even worse than that. It, things may even seem impossible. Now take note that at the age of 99, Abraham still did not have a son. He's 99, his wife is 89, and he says, how can a son be born to a man my age? This is what he asked God. How can this be? What's worse is that God goes ahead and changes his name from Abram to Abraham, and, and his name, you know, his name now means the father of many nations. Now, could you imagine that? He's 99 years old. He's, he's, he's wandering through the desert. He's going to where, a place he's never been. He's meeting, you know, new people maybe along the way. Hey, hey my, my name is you know, Sahid. What's your name? My name is Abraham. They know what Abraham means. Oh, all the many nations. Oh, how many kids do you have? Zero. What? How old are you? 99. Can you imagine how he felt? Like he was a walking contra contradiction, <laughs> you know? Embarrassing. That's how he must have felt. But you need to know this. It was a test of his faith. I read somewhere that God calls those things that aren't as though they are. Come on, somebody. And eventually, God will fulfill the dream at age 100. And his wife was 90. And they'd have their little miracle baby, and they'd name him Isaac, which means laughter. Why? Because when God told him, by this time next year, your wife will be a child, Sarah was, you know, listening, you know, behind a tent somewhere. She laughed, and he said, why did your wife laugh? He said, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did laugh. I heard you laugh. But the last laugh is going to be, in your favor, that, that, that cynical laugh that you have is now going to turn to a laughter of joy. And, and, and so she laughs, and, and God laughs, and Abraham laughs, and Isaac is named laughter. That's what Isaac means, laughter, because God and only God could do it. Amen? They have their miracle child. They think it's great. And then comes the most difficult phase of all. Listen to me. Phase five, and that's the dead-end phase. The dead-end phase. At the dead-end phase, God allows your dream to, to seemingly die. You, you remember the story. Abraham was asked to, to give up his miracle child, and God says, I want you to sacrifice him back to me. Now, understand this. Abraham once waited 100 years to have a baby. He the baby starts to grow up. They bond. They do father-son things together. And now he hears the voice of the Lord that says, Abram, take your son. Take him to a certain place and sacrifice him to me. 
I could imagine he's thinking, is this some kind of cruel joke? He's asking me to sacrifice the very dream child that was promised to me. And I could imagine that in that moment, he might have felt pretty hopeless. How do you know when you're, when, when you're at a dead end in your dream? That's how you know. You feel hopeless. You feel hopeless. Some of you are right there right now concerning your marriage or even the hope of getting married. Some of you are feeling hopeless toward your finances. What are you going to do? Some of you are feeling hopeless as it relates to your career or, or your business. Some of you are, are, are feeling hopeless with a family member or a friend. You know, this is uh, uh, an election year, the year of the cancel culture, where people just write you out of their lives if you don't agree with them politically. And so there's a hopeless there, hopelessness there. Some of you are feeling hopeless because, because of health issues, whether it's yours or a loved one that's going through something in, your, in their life right now. And when you're at that stage, what, what do you start to do? You start to doubt God. You start to doubt his wisdom. You start to doubt his love. It's very hard to stay. You, you start asking questions. Why is this happening to me? Because things just feel like it's all out of control. Well, I got some good news for you. Congratulations. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, God is getting you ready. He's setting you up. He's preparing you for that sixth and final phase. And that sixth and final phase is the phase that we call deliverance. Say deliverance. And the greater the dead end and the more hopeless the situation, the greater the deliverance is going to be and the more the miracle is going to be. Come on, somebody. Is anyone out there listening to me? Because when he comes through, you're going to be like, whoa, look at God. And you're not going to be able to take credit for it. Because you know that, that if God didn't do it, it wouldn't have happened. It would have been all gone. And so he sets you up. It, it just reminds me of that situation where, where, where we have in our, in our modern day that saying that says, where you're, where you're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea, the rock and a hard place. And I can imagine that probably came from the biblical story of the children of Israel when God delivered them out of Egypt only for them to find themselves in a desert situation and the Egyptian army is, is, is hot on their trail, breathing murderous things, how, how they're gonna, what they're going to do with them. And there's a big old Red Sea at flood stage. And so now they're literally between the devil and a deep blue sea or the Red Sea. And if God doesn't show up, they're in trouble. Well, guess what happened? You know the end of the story. God made a way where there seemed to be no way. That's the God that we serve. That's our deliverer. Amen? Now, everyone under the sound of my voice, listen to me. Everyone under the sound of my voice God is going to take you through these six phases of faith many times, more than once. It's not going to happen just once in your life. It's going to be things that will happen, and it will happen again. You're going to go from dream to decision, then to delay, to difficulty, and then sometimes it's going to feel like everything just dies, and then all of a sudden, the deliverance is coming. Write it down. Mark my words. And when it happens, don't think it's strange. 
because it happens to us all. And then he'll do it again. And then he'll do it again because you're going to start to grow in your faith and you're going to get to that place where you say, well, if he did it before, <laughs> he'll do it again. In fact, everyone listening to my voice this morning is at that stage right now, one of these stages. Some of you are in the dream stage. You're getting an idea. Some of you are in the delay phase or difficulty phase or the dead end phase. And I'm telling you, what you need to do is to hang in there because your deliverance is coming. Thy deliverer, thy deliverer is drawing nigh. Thy deliverance is drawing nigh. So the first thing that you need to do when you're placed in God's waiting room, the very first thing is to understand these six phases. Let me go to the second thing. You need to remember what God can do. Remember what God can do. The situation may be out of your control, but how many know it's never out of God's control? Can I get an amen? Come on, somebody. My pastor used to say, what's over your head is still under God's feet. Nothing we face, no situation or circumstance is ever over God's head and out of his control. So you don't focus on what you can't do. You need to get to that place where you start to focus on what God can do. Romans 4.17, Abraham believed in God who, get, who gives life to the dead, who creates something out of nothing. <laughs> that verse right there is the definition of a miracle. Listen. In a miracle, here's what happens. Either God gives life to something that was dead or he creates something out of nothing. He can give life to a dead career or dead marriage, dead dreams, dead finances. He can, he can bring something out of, or he can bring something out of nothing. In fact, Jesus said as much. He said, anything is possible if you, if you believe. Anything is possible if you have faith. Now notice something very important. What did Abraham put his faith in? Did he put his faith in himself? No. Did he put his faith in his emotions? That's where everybody, a lot of people are today. They're in their emotions. You just don't understand, Pastor Rick. No. Did he, did he simply put his faith in, I don't know, positive thinking? No. Who did he put his faith in? He put his faith in God. Someone say he put his faith in God. That's who he put his faith in. And, and, and I'm not saying I don't believe in positive things. I'd rather think positive than negatively. Come on, somebody. But, but positive thinking and faith are not the same thing. Positive thinking works in one situation. It works in a situation where you have control over that situation. In other words, if you're facing a challenge, like let's say, let's say you, you need to do a better job and you think positively about doing a better job, you will probably do a better job. You have some say in that. But positive thinking, listen to me, is worthless in areas where you have no control. You can say, I, I, I hope this person, you know, my loved one, uh, lives all you want, but it's, uh, you know, depending on what's going on, it, it, it might not change a thing. Positive thinking might not change a thing. 
because positive thinking is worthless in situations out of our control, especially when you come to a dead end in life. When you, when you come to a dead end, you need more than just, you know, nice, happy thoughts. When you come to a dead end in your life, you need faith in God. Amen? You need faith in something that don't move, that's unshakable, that when he says uh, yes and amen and his promises are true, that you can take that to the bank. I'm not talking about positive thinking. Faith in God works when things are out of control. And I got news for you. Most of life, most of the things that we face in this life are out of our control. A lot of them are. A lot of them. And so, so we need faith in God from, for, for more than just, you know, positive, pretty thoughts. We need faith in God when, you, when you're facing those dead-end situations, we need to remember the things that God can do. Does that make sense? What is impossible with men is possible with God. Luke 18, 27. That's a good one to remember. I'm going to say it again. What's impossible with men is possible with God. Now, the third thing you need to do when you're waiting on God is you need to rely on God's promises. We always come back to that, don't we? God's promises, the Bible says, are yes and amen. Romans 4.18, the message says, when everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. I love that. Deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. In other words, when Abraham looked at his situation, he realized his situation was as dead as dead can be. He wasn't, he wasn't putting his faith in, in his circumstances. Again, he was putting his faith in the promises of God. That verse says, when everything was hopeless, another translation says, when hope was dead within him. Question, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that, that hope was dying inside of you? I know I have. Several different circumstances where you just get hit out of nowhere. Even driving here today, ministering to a, a friend who's, whose family, you know, just suddenly is now in the hospital. I mean, everything was fine one day, and then all of a sudden, that suddenly is coming to our lives. And so how, how do you know when hope is dying inside of you? Well, this is how you know. You start using words like never or I'm never going to, these things are never going to happen. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to be happy again. I'm never going to have a child. These things, things are never going to change. We're never going to have money. And what's going on in those moments? Well, I'm telling you what's happening. Hope is dying within you. So, so, so what do you do when hope starts to die within you? Well, you do what Abraham did. Abraham believed God anyway. He believed God anyway. Abraham went on hoping in faith. 
Again, this isn't just wishful thinking. It's, it, it, it's placing your faith in God. How, how do you keep on believing when you feel like giving up? Well, it says it there. He decided to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. He relied on God's word. He relied on God's promises. Why? Because nothing is more reliable than what God says. Amen? That's why we have to get into God's word. That's why we have to spend time in the promises of God, not just once a week or every now and then, but every day I got to shower myself in the promises of God. Abraham relied on the word of God, and that's what kept him going when hope even his own hope wanted to, wanted to give up. Friend, when you come to a dead end, we need to rely on God's promises. Hebrews eleven seventeen. while God was testing him, Abraham still trusted in God and his promises, and so he offered his son Isaac. Now, in case you were wondering, that's what waiting is. Waiting is a test. We talked about that last week. Isaac grows up and God says, I, I want you to give him back to me. And Abraham didn't panic. I, I think I might have. But Abraham, he didn't. God says, give him back to me, sacrifice him to me. But he didn't panic. And he didn't panic for three reasons. And the Bible tells us what they are. Number one, he believed that God would, could and would raise him from the dead. He, Hebrews eleven nineteen. In other words, if he followed through with that, what the command of the Lord, he was standing on the promises that my seed is going to come through him and you're going to multiply my seeds to many nations. So if, if, if God was called, asking me to take him, then God had the ability to raise him back up. He believed in the resurrection. Number two, when, when he tells his servant, we're going up to the hill in the sacrifice, he says, well, we'll be back. He didn't say, I'll be back. He says, we'll be back. He fully intended that the son was going to come back with him. And then th number three, when, when his little son Isaac was walking up the hill and he turned to daddy, he said, daddy, he said, daddy, we've got the wood and we've got the fire. He says, well, but where's the lamb? And you remember what he told him? He said, God will provide the lamb. The Lord will provide. So he had every intention and no doubt that God was going to either spare his son or resurrect him from the dead. Now, why did Abram, Abraham walk in that confidence because he had the promises of God. In spite of his situation and circumstance, that man firmly put his faith in what God said and not what was going on around him. Here's the big test in your life. Ready? Ready? What are you going to do when God says to you, I want you to sacrifice your greatest dream? What are you going to do? Because that's the ultimate test of faith. When God says the thing you value the most in life, will you give that back to me? Will you offer it to me on the, on the altar? It's a test. It's a test to see what you love more. Do you love, the, do you love the gift more or do you love the gift giver, the one who, who provides? I said it at the beginning of this message. If you've got God, 
You've got all you need. And he doesn't want any idols in your life, even good things. The order that, that all of our lives should be in is first God. Amen? Then your, your, your wife, your family, your job, your ministry. But nothing should be over the place of God in your life. So it's a test. Will you do what Abraham did? Will you hope against hope and believe in faith and rely on the promises of God and trust that what he says he's going to do, he will do? Folks, things are never as bad and as hopeless as, we seem, as they seem to be if you look at them from God's point of view. We just got to get a hold of God's vision, and that will take us through. Even one of my verses that God's been resonating in me recently is Psalms 23, where he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, in that verse, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Now, if you're going through a valley of the shadow of death, keep walking. Keep moving. So many people want to camp out or they want to go in circles or they want to go back. It doesn't say, yea, do I, do I stand in the valley of the shadow of death or do I build my tent in the valley of the shadow of death? No, it says even if I, if I walk, and so many of the issues that are coming at us in this world today, God is simply telling you, I know it's bad, I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, I got a dream. And what I'm asking you to do is just keep moving forward. Keep trusting me, keep relying on me. You will walk out of that situation. Can I get an amen? We need to get God's perspective. Even the disciples, the disciples followed Jesus around for three years. They thought he was going to set up his kingdom and that, that, that they would all be rulers alongside him one day. And then the next moment they look up and there's Jesus. He's on a cross hanging there. And he's dead. Talk about a, talk about a dead end. They were devastated. It's, this was their Messiah. This was their Savior. This was their Deliverer. And here he is. On the cross, three years, and this is the result? How in the world can he be hanging on the cross? They didn't know that, that in that moment, Sunday was still coming. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Easter was still coming. Resurrection was still coming. That Jesus made some promises that he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Even though there was death, yet shall I live. Come on, somebody that the grave wasn't going to hold him, and sin wasn't going to keep him back. And yes, things may look like a dead end, but your deliverer is springing forth, and he's coming out with the keys of death and hell, not just for himself, for all who would believe, all who would put their trust in him. And so God specializes in turning dead situations around and resurrecting situations that look hopeless when we rely on the promises of God. 
The fourth thing that you need to do when you're in God's waiting room is you need to recognize the facts in faith. Let me say that again. Recognize the facts in faith. Romans 4, 19 and 20 says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. So Abraham recognizes that he and his wife were beyond childbearing years. He's he's 99, she's 89. It's medically impossible that they're going to have children at this point. He doesn't deny that. What what he does is he faces his, his situation and he faces it with faith. Listen to me today, because this is, this is very important. Faith does not ignore reality. It doesn't. Faith does not pretend that you don't have a problem. Faith does not act like it's not difficult. Faith is not denial. A lot of people think it is. But faith is facing the facts in your life without being discouraged by those facts. That's faith. That's putting your trust in the Father. Now, some of you have loved ones who are facing cancer or some difficult situation right now in your life. And, and, and God does not cause, call us to deny the diagnosis, but you can defy the verdict in Christ. Can I get an Amen. You can fight it and say, we're going to work at this and we're going to do all that we can to beat it and defy the verdict in Jesus' name. How do you keep on believing when you you feel like giving up? You you do these five things. First, you you need to understand the six phases of faith that God's going to take you through over and over again. Then you need to remember what God can do and, 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 and do it anyway, okay? Because God can do all things. Then you rely on God's promises and remember that what his promises can do. Then you recognize the facts of your life in, in faith. Don't deny them. You recognize them and don't get discouraged. And then you do the, the fifth and final thing. You ready? You rejoice in anticipation. You rejoice in anticipation. In other words, you expect God to act. Romans 4, 20 through 21, Living Bible. Abraham never doubted. He believed God for his faith and trust grew even stronger. And he praised God for this blessing even before it happened. He was completely sure that God was well able to do anything he promised. Now notice where it says, even before it happened. That's real faith. When you thank God for something after it happens, that's gratitude. When you thank God for something before it happens, that's faith. That's faith. I've been thanking God for his visions for years. And I know that they're coming and the dreams that he's given me, they're marching closer. Just like the the ram in the bush marched upside the, when, when Abram said God will provide the lamb. And as he walked closer to that mountain top, that ram that was going to get caught in the thicket was marching up as well. 
when you start thanking him for stuff before it happens, my friends, that's faith. Now, my family <laughs> does both. We, we, call it the, we call it the family jiggy. And we do things in gratitude for things that he's done, obviously. When God does something, it's, it's important. When, God, when Jesus healed those leopards, 10 leopards, and only one came back, he said, where are the other nine? Did they not get healed as well? So it's important to be thankful. But we've also done the family jiggy in faith, uh, in anticipation for what God was going to do. And we've watched God do it. In fact, the highest form of faith is thanking God in advance. I know I'm talking to someone out there. Some of you, you're not getting what I'm saying. But some of you are at that level where you're understanding where I'm at. The highest form of faith is thanking God in advance. God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to work things out. I may be at a dead end, but I thank you in advance that you know what you're doing. Amen? And I thank you in advance that you're going to work it all out. Turn to somebody. Say, God's working it out. Turn to someone else he said, and say it again. He's working it out for you. And he's working it out for me. That's his promise. Now, having said all that, you need to know that when God delivers us, as we come to a close this morning, there's actually three kinds of deliverances. I've talked about this before, but I just want to remind you of what the Word of God teaches. First of all, there's circumstantial deliverances. In that type of deliverance, God changes the situation. He miraculously turns the situation around, and God will do that a lot of times. We've talked about this. He, I call it flipping the script. He's the great shuffler, and he knows how to stack the deck in your favor. He can change your circumstances, but he's not always going to change your circumstances. He, he, he'll do it, and when he does it, it's a miracle, but it's not always going to happen that way. Sometimes, sometimes what he'll do is he'll give you a personal deliverance. And what is that? That's when he changes not the circumstance, but he changes you. And you get a bigger perspective and a deeper faith and a larger character out of what's happening. He doesn't change what's happening around you. He changes your focus. He changes you in the midst of it. And he, ha and he may leave the situation alone. That's a personal deliverance. All right? All of a sudden, you have peace. So the scripture says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When God gives you a peace in the midst of the storm, that's a deliverance. People don't understand why you're walking in peace, but that's what God did. He did something inside of you. But there's some pain in life that is, is only going to be relieved by the ultimate deliverance. Listen to me. And the ultimate deliverance is heaven. That's the promise that Jesus came, the promise of eternal life. One, one day we're, we're going to, God's going to, uh, uh, God has provided a place for every single one of us. Isn't that what he said? I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be with me also. Those of us who know the Lord, where the Bible says there's no sorrow or tears or suffering or death, no sadness, the former things have all passed away. And so that's the ultimate deliverance. 
with the, where God wants to offer every single one of us, okay? God hasn't promised to take away all of our pain. He hasn't promised that, that your loved one is going to live forever. He didn't, I mean, sometimes we think that, or as long as we want them to. He doesn't promise that. Nowhere in the Scripture does he does that. God, God doesn't promise that you're never going to have difficulties or you're never going to have dead ends or never going to have any delays. He, he's not promised to take away all of our pain. He, he has promised to give us the strength to handle it. And he's promised that one day, ultimately, he's going to deliver every single one of us, those who call on the name of Jesus, say Jesus, he's going to deliver them into his, his promised land. That's what he says where there'll be no sorrow, no pain, no suffering, no sadness. The former things will all be passed away. Romans 5.2 says, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? It's talking about heaven. It's talking about paradise. But there's only one way to get there. Are you listening? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't work for it. You don't earn it. It's only by putting your faith in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world. That's my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. In fact, the Bible word for deliverance is salvation or Savior, Yeshua, our our Messiah. That's what salvation means. Jesus is our Savior. He's, 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 he's our deliverer. He's your deliverer. And he will deliver you as long as, as long as you call out on him. And I'm not talking about positive thinking. This, all the world can offer you is that, is wishful thinking. The world, the world hopes for the best, but Jesus delivers the best. And his promises are amen, and they're always true. What he says he's going to do, he will do. So again, let's not settle for the cheap version of being woke in this world today, that divisive version. But let us become a, a woke, if you will, to the promises of God that Jesus made to every single one of us who would call on his name. Someone say Jesus. Someone who would, every single one of us who would acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. And the Bible makes it clear. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. That's what we all deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a gift and while we are still on this planet, he says, I've got my precious Holy Spirit that once you believe, I'm going to pour them out on you. And with that will come uh, visions, and with that will come uh, prophecies, and with that will become dreams. God's got dreams and visions and prophecies. God's got a plan and a purpose for every single one of you. No one was left out. Something that he wants you to uniquely do to fulfill his will for your life. 
But understand, it's going to be a process. And it starts with you saying yes to him. If you've not yet done that, it'd be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer of submitting to him. And then opening your spirit up to this precious Holy Spirit so he can fill you with his plans and your purposes. His purposes for your life. Let's pray. Say something like this. Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I, and I thank you, Lord, that you have included me for such a time as now. That your word says that you are motivated by love. For God so loved me. God so loved the world. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that if I believe in him, I will not perish, but I will have eternal life. And so God wants you to get to that place where you say, Lord, I put my trust in you. Say, Father, I, I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my life, to come into my heart from this day forward. Forgive me for going my own way. I give you permission to, to fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your plans and your purpose for my life. I want to I wanna dream your dreams. And give me the strength to, to walk it out. Even when I'm in your waiting room. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer with me just now, and on the authority of God's word, God has filled you with his spirit. He has brought salvation into your life. I want you to take the next step and just tell somebody that, yes, today I committed my life to Jesus. I recommitted my life to him. Remember, let's stay woke to the promises of God. God bless you, and I'll see you next week. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, Please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.